According to Mental Health America, 16.39% of America's youth ages 12 to 17 report suffering at least one major depressive episode in the past year. Meanwhile, 11.5% or 2.7 million youths across the country are suffering from major or severe depression. When it comes to adults, over half, 54.7% who suffer from a mental illness do not receive treatment, which totals approximately 28 million individuals. Ven Infante has been in the field of mental health now for more than 13 years as a licensed psychotherapist. He's helped thousands of people transform their lives. He's worked in inpatient, outpatient hospitals, schools, and in educational settings as well. He helps people achieve mastery over their mindset to live a more aligned and powerful life. And his time as a firefighter also impacts the reason why he is in this line of work. And Infante joined me this week to have a comprehensive, intensive, and thought-provoking conversation all about mental health awareness and where the system needs to improve to serve more people the best way it can. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Same here, man. Happy Saturday. Let's let's make this an awesome, fun weekend. Absolutely. Well, it's always a party on my end, Ben, so we'll give you an honorary invitation, okay? Let's do it. Absolutely. Now, Ben, I know when you were younger, you suffered uh, with your own mental health challenges, and I know it's a big reason as to why you're currently doing the work you're doing now, so I'm wondering if you... Uh, can tell me why it's so important to you. Yeah. Well, the work that I'm doing now, it's definitely very important to me because it's pretty near and dear to my heart. There was a lot of things that I went through in life. I had struggled with anxiety. I had struggled with depression. I had struggled with panic attacks. I got bullied a lot. And there were so many things in life that seemingly got me down. And it's it was always very interesting to me because I, at the time, I didn't realize it. But I was embracing a, a level of victimhood. 
right? And victimhood is so, so, it's just so disempowering. And it puts you in this state of helplessness. It puts you in a place where you feel that you are completely incapable of ever getting out of it. It makes you seem, see life in such a terrible lens. It makes you dislike people and living and, you know, everything about it. And that's why I had so many problems. And so at some point in my life, and, and we could get into that more, but at some point in my life, things really turned around for me. And as things turned around, life got better. I started creating a life that I wanted to live instead of being dragged through life. And I started really getting to this place where I realized I am more powerful than I knew. And I wanted to start bringing that to other people. I wanted to show people you don't need 10 years of therapy. You don't need medications. You don't need all of these things that keep you stuck in, you know, feeling disempowered. All you need to do is learn how to master yourself, master your life. And when you do that, everything else falls into place and falls into alignment. And so that's the biggest reason. I, I want to help people overcome a lot of the problems I've gone through. And more importantly, I want to make a positive impact on this world. So my mission, my personal mission, is to impact 1 billion lives positively. Well, that's certainly an ambitious and a noteworthy mission, my friend. Just before I ask you about uh, your work, your professional work, I, I'm curious if you I can dive into how life changed for you and sort of your aha moment where everything sort of clicked for you, buddy, since you brought it up. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my favorite my favorite story to tell. So, uh, kick back in your seat. You guys are about to get a little bit of a <laughs> of a little bit of story coming at you. Yeah, so, I'll go pop some honorary popcorn before we start. <laughs> okay, no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. All right, all right, everyone, get comfy. So, here's my story. I had I call it the moment in the mirror, and you guys will understand that as I get to the point. But throughout my life, I had struggled with all of these things. I had struggled with depression, anxiety, panic attacks. And I was also struggling a lot with suicidal thoughts. It's that helplessness that truly makes us feel there's no way out of it. And so we look for a way out of it. And for me, and unfortunately, a lot of people, suicide might be one of the best thoughts that we have because we can't see an end to the suffering. So we want to end it ourselves. And as I was living in this state, I knew I was unhappy. I knew things needed to change. I knew that everything I was doing or everything that was happening to me was making me feel worse and worse by the day. Now, my height of my depression and the height of the bullying occurred in high school. High school, I was getting thrown in trash cans, like literally, you know, when, when you see those shows and it's over dramatized how kids get bullied and like they're thrown in trash cans and their legs are like flopping about in the air. That was actually stuff that happened to me. It wasn't a dramatized movie. It was real life. And this stuff was just tearing me down every day. When I finally graduated high school, barely graduated with like a 68 to average, <laughs> 65 was passing for reference. I got accepted to only one college, which was my local community college, College of Staten Island. And I thought, you know what? I think it was a, I think it was CT Fletcher. It was one of one of the fitness guys, and he said, "You got to," or no, it was ET. Sorry, Eric Thomas. He's a motivational speaker. And he said, you got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think from going from high school to college was that for me. I was finally sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so I decided to take a different approach. I said, I need to reinvent myself. Now, my name is Vincent, but on my college transcripts, I wrote Vincenzo. It's a very small difference. Actually, it's only a two-letter difference. But 
the reality of it was it made a world of difference for me. I was creating a new identity. So I started working out. I started kind of growing out my beard and I got um, I got a new style. I started really changing how I approached life uh, from an external standpoint. And I started getting a lot more attention, a lot more attention than I was used to. Uh, some girls started becoming interested in me. Guys wanted to become my friend. And that was a big change from a year before when I didn't even have a girlfriend and I had one friend. <laughs> so it was drastic. And things were seemingly getting better in life. I wound up getting a job as a personal trainer. I was working at a hospital as a mental health worker. And I was in my undergrad for psych. And I was doing great in these external ways, but I still had a lot of internal turmoil. I was still feeling depressed and lonely and sad and anxious and all of these things. And then I was, you know, when I would meet people, I would have this anxious attachment style where I was afraid of losing them because, you know, I never had anyone. So, so many interpersonal issues. And funny enough, I was in therapy for all of it, but therapy never even helped me. My, my therapist was... He was a very, very kind guy, but he never really did much to help me facilitate change. And so therapy was failing me. I was failing me. And I did phenomenal. Graduated in Psychi National Honor Society, got accepted to 10 different master's programs, all of the ones I applied to, and chose another, chose a master's program, pursued my, my master's in social work with a clinical focus. And even during that, my mental health was getting worse. I was still having mental breakdowns. I was having panic attacks. I would call my therapist like a lot because I needed that support. I literally could not make a decision without a phone call from him. And so finally, when I graduated at 23, I was doing great. Had a beautiful girlfriend, nice car. I had my master's at 23 as the youngest one in the class. I had my two jobs, which I quit both of, by the way. And <laughs> I needed to try and figure my stuff out. And so here's where it got interesting. All of this to lead up to this one moment here it is summer and I was in my in my bathroom at my parents house where I was still living and I remember feeling so fed up. I was so annoyed. I looked in the mirror. I slammed my hands on the counter. I looked in the mirror and I said, what is wrong? Like, why am I still so angry? Why am I still so upset? Why am I still so sad and anxious and all this other crap? And I really couldn't figure it out. And then it was like this aha moment. I was like, oh, my God. It's like your Vincent. And mind you, that was the first time in about seven years I said my actual name. And the reason this was so powerful was because that was my defining moment of taking my power back because names are your power. And when I took my name back and I wasn't Vincenzo anymore, I was Vincent. All of a sudden, it came with a few things. It came with acceptance, acceptance for myself and my whole life. It came with acceptance for everything that has happened and everything that is currently in my life. And then it gave me the opportunity to step into ownership. And once you step into ownership, you realize you could start creating a life you'd want to live. And the last piece of it that really put everything in place was finally having internal leadership and self-mastery. And these two pieces I really started to work on and achieve by asking myself very honest questions. I said, is this really how you want to be known? Like I had a very angry conversation with myself in that mirror. I was like, is this it, man? Is this really how you want to be known? You want to be known as weak and helpless and anxious and sad and all these things? Like you want people to pity you your whole life? You want to be the guy that's incapable of anything? You don't, you're not admired right now. You're pitied. You want to keep doing that? And then I was like, hell no, I don't want to keep doing that. That's that's a terrible way to exist. And so I said, well, what do I want to be? I want to be confident. I want to be powerful. I want to be strong. I want to be inspiring. I want to be loving. I want to be happy. 
And I want to be known as an inspiration. I want to be a leader. I want to be a, a, a joyous person. I want people to follow me and, and admire what I do. And I was like, well, is anything I've been doing leading to that? So the answer is obviously no. The next question was then, all right, what do you start doing every day to become that person? And that was really the launch of who you see right here in front of you right now, or for those of you listening, for, for the person you hear speaking to you right now. Because without any of those questions at that moment, I probably wouldn't be this person. And uh, that was really my defining moment in life, the moment in the mirror. Well, I, I can see why, why you uh, uh, coined that term, my friend. And I, I thank you for being vulnerable and uh, sharing that story. And if you'll indulge me for just a second, in the uh, spirit of mutual admiration society and, and fairness, I'll, I'll share with you uh, my aha moment, my friend. So yes. it, it came for me when I was uh, nine years old, Vincent. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, so I was born, uh, a little background. So I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. Uh, simply means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs uh, to walk normally. And at nine years old, I received the last operation on my uh, legs that I'll ever receive in my life for uh, my disability. And I remember it like it was yesterday because uh, the doctor who performed all of my uh, surgeries, his name was Dr. Tim Carey. He put my parents... Uh, and myself in a hospital conference room, and he looked at me and my parents, and he said, um, Kevin's last sur uh, surgery was a success, but we have to talk to you before you leave the hospital, because uh, we've done everything medically we can for Kevin, and unfortunately, he will never be able to walk without assistance. And the next day, um, I had to internalize that because I had to go back to school. It was the start of the uh, school year. And before it started, uh, the principal of my elementary school, her name was uh, Dr. Carol Crowley, she called me into her office and I had gone through uh, sort of the, the uh, story that the doctor had told myself and my parents. And she had everyone in her office. And she had... Uh, that was assigned to my file, and she had made a big space in the middle of her office um, for my wheelchair. And I was looking at the principal, and everyone assigned to my file from social workers to teachers to therapists. And I had gone through the story of what the doctor had told my parents and I. And she looked at me and she said, The only limitations on your life are the artificial ones that you place. Uh, on, on your stuff personally, and I really think that was the uh, turning point of my life. And ever since then, I've worked to help people maximize their fullest potential. So that's my aha moment. So I, I just wanted to share that in the spirit of being open and honest and, and uh, transparent with it this morning, buddy. I love that, man. You're an inspiration. I I I always love hearing stories of people understanding you have no limitation in life the limitations are what you put on yourself and it doesn't matter what you're born with one of my favorite speakers nick santanasta i think that's how you say his name right he's got no legs he's got one arm 
And the one arm he has has like one finger on it. And yet he competed professionally in a bodybuilding competition. He he's take boxing lessons. He's a motivational speaker. He travels the world. Like, what are the limitations? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, there's a there's a sign in my office that says, "I have little time for excuses because I believe that excuses are of artificial determined to progress." My friend, and I look at that sign every morning, and the, the sign next to it says that inclusion is the gateway to independence. It's one of, one of the uh, rituals that I live my life by. So that's mm. sort of my motivation every morning. Love it. I love it, dude. So, and now I know uh, that, uh, Vincent, you work to uh, help people through coaching, uh, mentoring, and uh, therapy to make a positive difference in the field of mental health. So I'm wondering if you can share with me all the important work that you do, buddy, because I think the work that you do is fascinating. So I wonder if you could share it with me this morning. Sure. So I've been in mental health for 13 years. Uh, as I was talking a little about before in my story, started in mental health at 18 as a mental health worker. I've pretty much been everywhere you could think of. And I've been an inpatient, outpatient, hospitals, clinics, homeless shelters, private practice, Department of Education, applied behavioral analysis, traveling home therapist. <laughs> I've done it pretty much all. And I started having this understanding and this realization that traditional therapy fails a lot of people. And it still does. And that's still my belief. And I'm happy to fight anyone on that. And, and not actually physically fight, more just like debate it. <laughs> but it's it's was one of those moments where I started feeling unfulfilled in the work I was doing because of the fact that I realized there's a lot of stuff missing here and school never really prepared me. I don't think school actually prepares anyone like these pieces of paper I have behind me, my degrees. I don't think that means I'm qualified. There's plenty of people with degrees that aren't, but I've spent a lot of time really seeking out. How do you facilitate breakthroughs for people? Right? Cause that's the job as a therapist or as a coach or anyone that you are, if you're in a space of helping, you don't create change for people. You facilitate a space for them to create the change. And so I started studying and looking into like, who are the best people that facilitate change? And I stumbled upon Tony Robbins. And he truly is, no matter how anyone feels about him, he truly is the world's greatest at creating change. And he will take people who have been in therapy for 15 years and help them in 15 minutes, which I found fascinating. And I was like, if one person could do it, how come everyone's not doing it? How come all of our therapists are not equipped to do this? How come all of our coaches aren't equipped to do this? And I started saying, well, if one person could do it, it could be replicated because guess what? I'm also a person. So I started getting really curious. I was like, how do I create more change? How do I impact more lives? So first, I studied and got my coaching certification under Tony Robbins to become a strategic intervention coach. And then started studying more about neurology. Then I started studying more about physiology. Then I started understanding the chemicals of the brain. Then I started understanding how behaviors are formed and all these other deeper aspects that a lot of people really don't know, especially in my field. And I started saying like, this is really great. I love coaching, but I think coaching also misses something because a lot of coaches don't take people into their past because they're, you know, they say either they're not qualified to, or they don't feel they should and whatever the, whatever the thing is. So I said, well, that's that's a big reason as to why a lot of people don't move forward. That's why a lot of people get stuck. Like they'll be in coaching, they'll pay for this coach and they'll sit there with them. And they're like, oh, I just can't move forward. And the coach doesn't know how to help. So the coach just sits there or he's like, well, you just don't want it bad enough. Or like, let's keep trying. 
But the reality is they're not moving forward because there's an issue from the past. Then on the other side, a lot of therapists don't know how to push their clients properly and engage with them to start looking and creating a future. And so the, a lot of the people would just go to therapy and sit there and complain about their past for 10 years and wonder why their issues aren't solved. So he said, well, wouldn't it be really great and really cool if somebody were to bridge the two? Because I don't know anyone that does. And so that's where my unique service started taking place. It actually got born out of what I see as a necessity for the world. I think the world needs to start looking at mental health differently. And so I said, I'm going to create the first mental health hybrid service of therapy. I'm added in mentoring and coaching. And why I added in mentoring is I feel that's the last piece. I think in today's world, what I've come to learn is that people are really motivated to change when they feel like somebody really actually gives a shit about them. And so mentoring, I have a mentor and my mentor, I could call him or text him whenever I want. And he'll either always answer. And if he can't answer, he'll get back to me. And he wants nothing from me other than to see me win and succeed. And he just loves me. And I think that's important. And so I said, what if I threw that piece into here as well? Because a lot of coaches, a lot of therapists will say, yeah, you know, just meet me at the time of our session. Don't text me. Don't call me. We can't do that. Like, that's not allowed or whatever. I'm not like that. I say, you need me. You text me anytime you want. You got to call me. Let's figure it out. We will have our scheduled sessions and our scheduled time. I was like, but I am here for you and your success unconditionally. Like once you start working with me, you're in, you are like my, my client is my friend and my friend is my family. I was like, so if we're doing this together, we're going the whole way. It's all about results. And so that's kind of how I started working with people and started helping people. And in the first, first year of doing my coaching business full-time, I took off by the second year, things were phenomenal. By the third year, I started getting attention, you know, I was featured in Forbes and a whole bunch of different other press articles. And it seems like the world is really responding to what I'm doing. So I'm really excited to keep sharing this with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Vincent, as an old uh, uh, sports reporter and, and journalist, my friend, I'm always up for a debate, buddy, because I love sports. So I, I have sports debates all the time. But <laughs> So uh, I, I want to go back to what you said earlier about, about how traditional therapy doesn't always work for people and that you would find anyone on that funny. So tell me about uh, the current state of the mental health resources that are available and some changes that you may want to see and why you believe that traditional therapy doesn't work or, or, or one, one size fits all. I'm fascinated to get your answer. Sure. I think traditional therapy, like much like coaching, has a lot of limitations, right? That's again, that's why I aim to create combine the two. When I look at traditional therapy, and I actually study like in depth, right? So when you go to college and you go to school, they're teaching you basic concepts. And and that's at least what I experienced. Maybe there's different programs or whatever, but going through college and getting my pieces of paper did not actually teach me anything about really helping people. When I started learning about how to really help people, it came from the back of my own work, my own investment, my own hiring of coaches and mentors and uh, these people that would guide me. And one of the things that I've come to learn is I actually started reading about like the founding fathers of therapy. Like, for instance, I'll just use a good example. Skinner. Skinner is the father of behaviorism. When Skinner wrote a book uh, recently, it's called About Behaviorism. I shouldn't say recently because he's gone, but 
He wrote this book called About Behaviorism. And he basically talks about how the Western world has butchered what behaviorism is supposed to be. And I find that when you read a lot of the work and a lot of the actual things that were discussed by the founding father of the modalities, you see so much disparity between what's currently being taught and how it's being applied to help people versus what they actually meant and what should have been done to actually create change. And I find it interesting because I don't believe it's like, well, society has advanced. Because if you think about it, people actually mentally, emotionally, we might have a little more awareness, but we still process the same as if we were cave people. And again, people could debate me on that. But if you go read the research, the studies, anxiety, for instance, is an activation of fight or flight. Anxiety used to tell us, hey, you're going to get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. Now anxiety is transferred to answering, answering a text message because you don't want to talk to the person because you perceive that as danger because you don't want to hear from them or whatever the case may be. So a lot of modern therapy not only is out of context, but one of the bigger problems is that it's very singular. So in today's day and age, for instance, mainstream therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is CBT for short. And CBT tends to focus a lot on consciousness. It tends to focus on like, well, let's talk about why do you think you did that thing? Or why did that behavior happen? Or blah, 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 blah. But the problem is that that doesn't take into account the individual as a whole. It doesn't start going into the deeper parts of the neuro, of the neurochemistry, of the neuroscience, of the subconscious mind. It leaves out so much. And I think people, one thing that's really important is that I think people forget Therapy is a business too. It's a business model. If you don't come back for 10 years and you don't take the medication, a lot of people are out of money and work, right? Imagine if we actually were in a society where most people overcame their issues in a few months. Who would have who would have a job as a therapist or a coach? Who what what pharma company would be able to keep producing so many medications for you? What so here's the fun part too, a psychologist. You go to a psychologist, they're gonna charge you like five hundred dollars to come in for 15 minutes. And they're going to write you a prescription. How are the psychologist is going to get fed? So a lot of modern day psychology, in my opinion, based on the way it is, the way it's modeled, the way it's taught, the way it's done, I just see it as a business. And, and like, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with a business. But it's a business that's not providing a level of results. There's no other business. And if you can name one, Kevin, I would love to hear it. But there's no other business in this world that people will go to day in and day out for 10 years without seeing great results and pay for. Therapy is the only one. Therapy is the only one where just, that's the process. Why is that the process? I've taken clients who've been in therapy for 15 years and we've changed their life in three months. So why is it the process? And that's that's where I have a lot of, um, it's not animosity, but it's just like, things need to change. Like they could be better and I know they can. And that's why I don't do it anymore. And if honestly, if there's anyone that has a little piece of authority to speak on this, I'd say it's me. I've been through it. I've worked in every setting. I have 10 years of traditional therapy experience before I left. So like who's, you know, again, people are welcome to debate me, but I've actually done it. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I appreciate your passion on the issue. Uh, and certainly I know uh, that you now have uh, people to sort of master their mindset and unlock the inner, inner leaders. So walk me through uh, that process and how you get that done. I would love to. So here's, here's the reason that what I do really helps create impact and change. 
we focus on repatterning people. When I talk about mastering your mindset, it is very focused on the self, right? It's very focused on you. And that's how it should be. Because the reality is in life, the only thing you can control is yourself. So one of the best concepts I've ever learned, and I encourage everyone to look into it as well, is the circle of influence and the circle of concern. And the circle of influence was taught by Dr. Stephen Covey. It was covered in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this concept says that you can really only master yourself. And the circle, that's the circle of influence. The circle of concern is everything outside of that. Now, when we talk about the self, what can we really control? Well, there's five things. You have your thoughts, your feelings, your mind, right? Which actually, that goes into your thoughts. <laughs> thoughts, feelings, actions, behaviors, and language. These are the main five. So I'll repeat that one more time. Thoughts, feelings, actions, behaviors, and language. When you realize you can only control these five, you could start looking for in every situation how to own at least one and expand it to the five or expand to as many as you can. Because though you cannot control everything that happens to you, you can control how you choose to respond to it. And then you have your circle of concern. The circle of concern is literally everything outside of those five. It's the weather, it's the environment, it's your friends, it's your family, it's your girlfriend, it's your boyfriend, it's the jerk on the subway, it's your mean boss, it's the disgruntled employee. It's everything outside of your circle of influence. And as you focus on things out of your circle of influence, your circle of concern will grow and shrink your circle of influence, making you feel disempowered and weak and helpless. If you focus on your circle of influence, you'll feel more empowered, more powerful, you will have more opportunity to control life and create a life you want. And I'll give a really great story for everyone listening, because this is important to, to really demonstrate the point of this. And, and this isn't fictional. Everyone could go look it up. A lot of things I say, I, I really take the time to understand. There's this man named Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a psychologist in Germany. But more importantly, he was a psychologist in Germany and he was Jewish during Nazi Germany. Viktor Frankl was put in an internment camp where he watched his community, his friends, his family, the people he grew up with all die around him. Viktor Frankl practiced self-mastery. He practiced focusing on his internal. Because he could not control the external, he focused inner. And he would get to these states of peace and freedom because every state we encompass is really just a state of mind. Happiness is a state of mind. Peace is a state of mind. Freedom is a state of mind. And it's understanding that just because life is happening around you, you do not have to partake in all of it. So Viktor Frankl would actually sit there and he would focus on hope. He would focus on peace. He would focus on freedom. He had reported that he actually felt more free and more peaceful than the guards that were patrolling the Nazi internment camp. So now I pose this question to the audience and anyone listening. Viktor Frankl could find peace in a Nazi internment camp. What is your excuse to not find peace? How can you say you've had it worse? How can you say, oh, people don't get what I'm suffering through, right? And it's that problem is where we make our problems so unique and so big that we can't overcome it. So I challenge everyone to focus on the five things you can control to get some peace in your life or whatever emotion you want to create. And then to answer your question about leadership or internal leadership, that is to say leadership is not a title. It's not you're a CEO or you're an exec or whatever. I mean, that's that's a role. 
but that's that's not what leadership is. Leadership is asking, how do I show up powerfully in my life? Leadership is asking, what do I do to become the best version of myself in the role I'm playing? So everyone encompasses roles. I'll use myself for an example. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a boyfriend. I'm a business owner. I'm a coach. I'm a therapist. I'm a mentor. And these are all the roles I'll show up in. And now to be a leader is to ask, how do I show up powerfully in each of those roles? What would a good father do? What would a good business owner do? What would a good coach do? What are the values a good father should have? What are the behaviors a good father should exhibit? What are the things that I should do daily? What are the things I want to inspire others to feel? And see, if you really ask yourself those questions, and then you take action in alignment with those, you are stepping into that best version of yourself. And that's what internal leadership is. It's not about having to be a millionaire or a, a you know, high-power CEO. It's really about saying, how can I show up powerfully for whatever role I'm in. I mean, shoot, man, if you're a janitor, which there's nothing wrong with that, it's a great job, union, <laughs> pension, benefits, salary, sure, awesome. But if you're a janitor, how do I show up as the best janitor? How do I how do I go one step further to make people know, like, I care about this space, I care about the school that I'm cleaning or the office I'm cleaning? How do I make people know that I value my job? How do I inspire those around me? How do I make people walk away from me saying, wow, that guy is awesome. I love his disposition. I love his personality. That's what leadership is. It's not, oh, I'm a CEO. Follow me. That that doesn't mean a damn thing. And and we know that. Yeah, absolutely. And Victor, uh, I know you also spent some time as a firefighter, my friend, and that's certainly an act of service. So I'm wondering, wonder, wondering about your time as a firefighter and how it may impact uh, what you do today, my friend. Love that question. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I always <laughs> I always forget to mention I'm a firefighter when I go through my summary of like, oh, therapist to coach. It's like, well, therapist to firefighter to coach. <laughs> it was a process there. And firefighting was super interesting, man. It, there's nothing there's nothing better. It's the coolest job in the world. Uh, I miss it. I miss it a lot. I, I really do miss just being in that action. It was pretty, pretty interesting. And I will say that it has impacted my life deeply. Uh, I don't honestly know if I could have became an entrepreneur without the training I received from the fire department, because the fire department was grueling. Um, fire department in New York, which is the world's most renowned fire department in the world, people will come and study us and study our tactics. We are the most aggressive fire department or the strongest fire department. And at the time, it was crazy. Like we were training fire department in New York is run like a paramilitary organization. Our training has drill instructors. We march everywhere. We're in formations. It's like it's like going to boot camp, but then going home at the end of the day. <laughs> and it's a really interesting process, but it challenged me to shed a lot of my former self to become my best self. It challenges everyone that goes through it to be stronger than we ever knew. And it breaks you down to build you up in the best way. And when I got through the fire academy, uh, they actually graduated us early. They gave us what was called a wartime graduation, which is something they actually haven't done since 9-11. And unfortunately, we didn't get any graduation ceremonies. We didn't get the family days, all the things we were really excited about because it was during COVID. 
And when the pandemic hit, a lot of firefighters and everybody was being put out. Everybody was going sick. And so they graduated us a few weeks early. They were like, hey, your city needs you. Good luck. <laughs> and uh, we were like, okay, guess we're doing this. And so they sent us out. We went straight into the pandemic and uh, we started working, man. And it was a, it was a truly amazing experience. I, I really am so grateful. I was there for, for about a year. I didn't have a super long stay in the fire department. I was building coaching on the side while I was going through the fire department. And uh, eventually my business really started taking off in coaching. And as much as I love firefighting, I felt that coaching fulfilled me a little bit more. And yeah. so I did what my heart called to. And I made the really, really hard decision to leave. Uh, and I, I really did. I agonized about that, man. I was pacing back and forth for weeks with the with the resignation letter in my hand before I finally submitted it. Um, because it's hard. It's hard to become a firefighter. And it's even harder to go through all of that and then leave. Because you've built a connection with a lot of the guys there you know you you've you kind of start feeling like a family like it's it's a lot to to walk away from yeah well you, you know Vincent, i i look at life as an immigrant heartbeat my friend we're all put on earth to sort of uh, have this uh sort of what i call a temporary permission slip for life and you know you know, one day our permission slips online, so I'm going to run out. So I always tell people that it's important to maximize opportunities and potential when they arise. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I mean, that, that was why I wound up leaving. I saw part of being a leader is also part of being a visionary, right? So... As my coaching business started taking off, I saw what the future held. And I, I mean, if I couldn't see that, I honestly probably wouldn't have left the fire department. But the reality is I saw what my future held. I was like, wow, I am, I'm going to be doing a lot. Like, this is, this is where I'm meant to be. I have to go. And so I took the leap. And that's, that's, that's always hard for people. You know, and and it's and it's very hard. Entrepreneurship has been hard. There's been ups and downs. There's been sadness. There's been depression. There's been being close to broke, if not completely broke, at moments. And so, to be willing to jump into that is very difficult for a lot of people. And it was difficult for me too. But I just I believed and I went forward. Well, you know, uh, so uh, Vincent, I, I'm a Canadian, so I live in, in Canada. So uh, one of the uh, that I always liked is one from Wayne Gretzky who said you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm also curious to ask you about managing emotions when you go through therapy because as you know, it can be an emotional process and it doesn't always work the same for everybody. So talk to me about Managing emotions, whether they're high or low, when you go uh, through the therapy process. Sure. So, emotions are interesting because they're never really factual. Like, one of my favorite sayings is feelings aren't facts, they're indicators. A feeling is a way that your body sends you a signal to process something. But here's the fun part we determine what the feelings are. Like if you look at a roller coaster and you get excited, 
And I look at a roller coaster and I get terrified. Like if if feelings were facts, they would have a straight through and through answer and a response, right? Like you and I right now, we're looking, you could see my camera, I could see yours. Can we agree that it is factual that I have curtains behind me and my camera? Yes. Right. Well, we could agree with that because it's it's not it's not up for debate. It's factual. It's just a curtain. It is what it is. And so because of that, we can have an understanding that that's a curtain and we're both in agreement and we both feel the same way about curtains. Or maybe you think curtains are stupid, but I like them. That's why I have them. However, even that it goes into that's just the difference in feeling. Feelings aren't factual, and that's why they don't have a tangible X, Y, and Z meaning, right? That's why I go back to the example. You could look at a roller coaster and get excited. I could look at a roller coaster and get terrified because we might be giving it different meanings. And so managing feelings is more about understanding what the meanings are behind them. It's more about saying, okay, if I feel this way, it's not just because I feel like the biggest thing that drives me nuts is when people are like, I don't know why I feel this way. All that tells me is you haven't done any inner work to figure it out because there's no way there is no way you will ever feel anything without having a reason behind it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't exist. So what people need to do if they want to start managing their emotions better is to start understanding what are the meanings and the belief systems that create the emotions. What are the meanings and the belief systems that have led you to having the chemical or physical responses that create certain feelings within you? And then one of the bigger parts of it, of emotional mastery, is really trying to put things in a positive spin. Subconscious mind is always on. The subconscious mind is also traditionally patterned and conditioned. 95% of everything we do daily is just a repeat of the day before such as our feelings, our thoughts, our behaviors. We don't do many different things in a day. And so if you want to start changing things, you have to start becoming more conscious. You have to start saying, huh, I'm getting angry every single day. Why am I doing that? How is it serving me? How is it helping me? In fact, what would I rather feel? I don't want to keep feeling angry every day. I want to feel happy. Well, what can I do to feel happy? What are the things that make me happy? What is the perspective I could hold that will make me happy? So if you want to cut through your emotions, you got to start cutting through to the subconscious and you got to start cutting through to some new logic and thinking and then create a different feeling from it. Start utilizing your physiology and your neurology to actually repattern and recondition yourself because neurons that wire together, fire together. Sorry, neurons that fire together, wire together, mix that up. But what that means is when the neurons are firing and the emotion is going, there's something else that's happening. There's a thought process. There's a physiological response. If you want to start interrupting those patterns and creating new emotional patterns, you have to start creating new neurological patterns too. You have to start changing your physiology, start changing your thought process, start changing your focus, etc. So there's a lot of things that people need to do. And a lot of people don't do them, especially if we go back to like, you know, that original conversation of therapy, where people will just kind of go in there and they'll just validate it. And so it'll be like, oh, I feel sad. And then the therapist will be like, hmm, I understand. It must be hard for you feeling sad, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so tough. Nobody gets it. I'm always depressed. Yeah, yeah. Depression's hard. Yeah, I, I see how that could be debilitating. Yeah, it's so debilitating. Yeah, I get it. So I'll see you next week, right? And we'll talk more about this and keep talking about the same damn thing for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it's important not to get into uh, the same uh, cycle of victimhood, uh, and I guess that, uh, 
that's one of uh, the things that you are doing with the people that you work with uh, to get out of. So I appreciate that. But I also wanted to uh, share, share, uh, share another story with you, my friend. friend. Yes. So one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast uh, and one of the, I, I don't want to call it a side effect, but one of the things that I do with sometimes because of my disability is uh, social isolation. It's not always easy for me to get up and get out. So I use this podcast as a sort of building my, what, what I call building of social capital. So when I have conversations with you, I feel like even though I can't leave the house sometimes, I've, I'm still building of social capital and importance. It's my, this podcast and talking to you today will help me build a sort of a, a sense of belonging and inclusion. So I thank you for that. So the question is, how important do you think it is to build uh, communities to help uh, persevere through a uh, social isolation? Oh, that's that's a great question, uh, Kevin. Communities are everything. I, I believe that the ability to have a community is is sometimes highly undervalued. We're social creatures. Like, there's no doubt about it. When people are like, I don't like people. I want to stay in isolation. I'm like, no, you you have serious deep issues. Like, I'm sorry. I'll never say, oh, that you're sure that's how you are. You're you're just someone who loves being alone. It's bullshit. And and it's bullshit because of the fact that all the research shows, all the studies show, there's not there's not one planet, uh, there's not one creature or animal on this planet. Well, maybe not one. I'm sure there's one or two, but those are also like some weird creatures. But most of the creatures on this planet are social, including humans. There's research that shows people die of loneliness. There's research on this. If, if you are lonely, here's a fun fact. If you are lonely, it increases your risk of death by 26 to 29 percent and they did this study for over three with over three million people involved there's so much negative impact that comes from isolation and being alone and there's research on it it's not up for debate so when people are like oh, i like being alone i'm like no you have serious mental issues you need to figure out because nobody likes to be alone you've probably programmed yourself that way but that's not true now Communities are important. Finding your tribe is important. Having support is important, even if it's just friends. Like you don't always need a coach or a therapist. You don't always need a mentor. You should have one because they help provide perspective and understanding. But you always need somebody to be with you. And I mean, hell, if we really want to get into it, one of the biggest reasons I never committed suicide was because I honestly continued to have a vision play in my head of my mom coming in and finding my body. And that hurt me more than anything because I couldn't put my mom through that. Like, I just couldn't. I could not fathom putting my mom through that, having her walk in, putting my dad through it, putting my, I mean, you know, there's just, it's so crazy. When you care about others, it does so much more for you. And and so I always encourage it. I encourage community. I encourage friends or anything and anything you could do. And Kevin, good for you, man. Like, that's what's up. Don't embrace that just because you can't leave your house doesn't mean you have to be alone. Like, I love that about you, dude. Like, really, praise to you. I, I love that. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And uh, Vincent, um, 
my next question is related to that because you know I'm all about celebrating the victories in life, no matter how big or how small. So, how important do you think celebrating victories are, and how important do you think finding your own personal identity is? Because you know, people uh, ask me why I'm so optimistic or or inspirational, and I always tell them, I, I'm only living my life, but the only standard of expectations that you have, in my view, Vincent, that you have to live up to on your own, because if you don't have a, a fundamental floor of expectations, it's hard to cross the finish line of public opinion. So I always tell people it's important to uh, sort of set your own level of expectations because it's the only ones you have to meet. So tell me about the importance of really celebrating victories and finding your identity. Sure. Finding your identity is important because your identity determines what you get in this life. If you identify, and this might sound funny, but if you identify as somebody who's a millionaire, you will do better things than the average person because you will be taking on behaviors, actions, and start doing things or thinking differently based on what you want out of life. You see, an identi identity is super powerful. Identity is super powerful because it, it promotes what you want in this world. And I believe that if you really want to change your life, you have to change the identity you hold. If you look at, for instance, one of the easiest ways to do it, to give an example, is like fit people. Fit people have an identity that they're fit. So they do things in line with what they believe themselves to be. If you believe yourself to be fit, chances are you're not eating crap food all the time. Chances are you're drinking plenty of water, you're going to the gym, or you're doing something that's going to help you exercise and get into better health. So that's what an identity does. It creates habits and behaviors and alignment, which allows you to become more and more of that person, which is extremely important. And that that is something I, I put heavy emphasis on with clients. I think identity is something that needs to be very consciously and carefully created and curated. So that that's my take on identity. And and the other question that you had, um, can you can you please repeat that? The first part of the question? Yeah, it was just about uh, celebrating wins in life and how yes. important celebrating victories is. Sure. Yes. So there's a lot of cool uh, interesting research on that as well, where if you celebrate, you're more likely to continue doing the thing. Now, it doesn't mean go out and celebrate all the time. But when you have a win, you should do three things. You should one, save some of it, like put it on the side. Like if let's just talk about a monetary win, because it's the easiest example I could give you. Talk about if you if you get a monetary win, let's say you hit a new a new benchmark in your business or you, you know, get a promotion at work, right? you get a, work, you get a bonus, whatever it is, celebrate that win. Don't go crazy. Put one third of it somewhere, like put it away, maybe even more, depending on how much money you need, right? Then give away some of it to a, a service or a charity or somebody like a friend or family or somebody you know that needs it. And then the third piece is take a little of it and go do something really, really fun. So I'll tell you what I did was I, I, whenever I hit milestones in business, I celebrate. So I was looking at, there was this, this crystal this is the stupidest thing ever. 
<laughs> but I love it. I don't even care. I walked into uh, Swarovski Jewelers one day, or Crystal, sorry, not Jewelers, and I went there to get a gift for my uh, from my mom for it was either Christmas or her birthday. I can't remember, <laughs> but I went there to get a gift, and I saw this crystal tiger. And man, this thing is is sick. It's it's a gold crystal, and the tiger is on like this granite slab that's climbing upwards, and and the price tag on it was uh was like nine hundred dollars or a thousand dollars whatever it was and i was like wow i love that thing now at this time i was still working a nine to five i was still a firefighter and i was like wow i love that thing and i was like i really want it but like i can't justify paying a thousand dollars for this it's useless it's like it just sits there it's 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 a piece of art it's not it's not anything that's going to help me like build a better body or eat eat better or whatever and I was like, I really want this thing, but I just, I can't justify it. So I made a promise to myself. I said, I want the tiger and I'm going to buy it once my business successfully launches and I am a full self-sustaining entrepreneur. And so I almost forgot about that promise because it took a while for my business to get up and running. It took about a year for me to be self-sustaining and I I went virtually broke at a few points. Like I remember my girlfriend had to help me out and pay my credit card bill one month because I just didn't have any money. And um, like it was a rough path. And then a year later, I go back into Swarovski and for some crazy reason, maybe maybe it was too expensive and nobody wanted it. But for some crazy reason, the tiger was still there. And I was like, oh, I wanted that. <laughs> and so I walked in and I looked and I said, Hey, I want to get that tiger. And you know what's crazy? Is the woman at the front, she said, Hey, weren't you weren't you here last year? Like, didn't you come in with your friend and say when your business took off you were gonna buy that tiger? I was like, Yeah, I did. She goes, Well, how's business? I was like, I'm buying the tiger, aren't I? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so that that right there is one memory, one story I will always cherish. And it cost me a thousand dollars. And then I gave away money to a charity called Underground Railroad, which that's my favorite charity to support. Uh, they deal with helping children that were trafficked and they rescue them. And then I put the rest in my bank and I continued to just save it and grow my business and utilize it for other purposes. And so that's how I celebrate or and that's how I do things. I always create a benchmark for something. So now my next business goal, I bought a new freaking crystal thing i now have a crystal bowl <laughs> that was a benchmark for a business goal and then i have another goal which etc etc so that's how I, I say people should do it it's not about and you don't have to spend a thousand dollars i'm weird i like crystal tigers for thousands of dollars you don't have to do that you can go for a dinner or you could just buy uh something small if you want you don't even have to you don't have to buy something but it's just about i enjoy your your fruits of your labor you don't have to spend a ton of money, but just spend something when you gain something. If if it's a monetary gain you're going for, right? If you have a different win, celebrate it a different way. Like if something great happened to you and you didn't make a thousand dollars to buy a tiger, something great, just call somebody and share it with them. Be like, hey, this awesome thing just happened to me. I was working for it. I'm so excited about it. Because what you do is you get your body kind of conditioned to wanting to win. Because now you're not celebrating crap, you're celebrating like real stuff. And so your body's like, oh, I want more of that. Like I want to achieve more. So I feel good about it.
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Vincent, my next question is like a mind one, because I think there's, there's parallels to it. So uh, how did you look at the word resilience? And at the same token, do you think there's power and vulnerability? Okay, so resilient is important. Resilient is the thing that high achievers are made of. Resilient is the ability to bounce back, the ability to go from loss to loss or failure to failure without a lack of enthusiasm. Resilience is the ability to pick yourself up after a defeat and maybe drag yourself a little, but still keep moving. That's extremely important for success. If you have no resilience, you will have no success in life. Whether it's emotional resilience, physical resilience, mental resilience, I don't care. If you don't have resilience, you won't have anything in life because everything comes down to your ability to carry on because life is hard. And if you can't get hard with it, then you're not going to do much. And there's so much power in vulnerability. I lead with vulnerability. Everything I do is, is based out of state of vulnerability because I know where I've been and I know what I'm doing. And, and, and when I say I know what I'm doing, it's not like I have life figured out. I mean, maybe I do a little bit, but when I say I know what I'm doing, it means I know why I'm doing things. I'm open to talking about them. I'm open to putting it out there in the world and being open to receiving it. Because when you can be open with others, you find that you get a lot more. Like one of the best ways to build connection with people is to start with vulnerability. Like people are naturally kind of closed off because it's a protective kind of state, right? But if you want to start disarming people in a good way, you start by you leading with your vulnerability. What makes somebody open up? Well, if you're like like if you're likely to open up. I've had people thank me. Like people I I met and I'll just talk to them and I'll be like, "Yeah, you know, like I struggle with this, I struggle with that." And like don't get me wrong, there's a difference between vulnerability and venting. A lot of the things I talk about when I'm being vulnerable are things I've figured out and overcome, right? And it's not like I'm just sitting here playing and living in victimhood and venting about, oh, life was hard and this, that. It's like, life was hard, but that shit made me better. It made me who I am today. Like, that's the important part of it. And I'll share those stories with people and people will be like, wow, thanks for your vulnerability. I'm like, it, it's it, your vulnerability becomes your invulnerability. Because when you share things openly and powerfully, Nobody could use it against you. You actually become impervious. So I think vulnerability is the superpower to unlocking invulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Vincent, I'm fascinated as we end part of our conversation today to ask you about adversity, overcoming adversity, and how you turn your pain into power. Well, it was a lot of it was a lot of what we had discussed. Being able to overcome pain is being able to understand it in a new way. If you're going through pain, it means you haven't figured out something yet. I'll give you a real quick cap uh, story here on this. <clears throat> there is this this research that was done on depression. Depression is meant to help you. It really is. People don't get this. Depression is meant to help you. It is called in the, in the research they were doing, it was called analytical rumination hypothesis. And analytical rumination hypothesis tells you or tells us that our ancient ancestors used to use depression as it would force you to ruminate and analyze things that were going on in your life to come to solutions to your problems. So 
if you want to turn pain into power, you have to find solutions to peace. If you're struggling with pain, it's because you haven't figured out why it's causing you pain. But the biggest thing that causes us pain is the definitions and the meanings we give to things. And you could change that by finding a better answer. Like, hey, why did my dad beat me? I don't know, because your dad sucked. You know, how did your dad beating you help me? Well, I'll never hit my kids. Great, then that's a good answer. Seriously, I mean, that's that's the simplest part of it. Like, it's not that complex. The, the thing that makes it complex is once you get to that answer, actually feeling it. You can't just be like, I know, I know, I should be grateful. Like, my dad beat me, so now I'll never beat my kids, and that's a good thing. It's like, no, like, you need to feel that in your soul. You need to say, you know, it is, it, it's, it's not a great thing my dad beat me, but it happened to me. I accept it. And the meaning that I'm going to take from it is not that my dad beat me. The meaning I'm going to take from it is that I know what not to do to be a good father. I know how to be a better person. I know that I don't want to cause people pain. Like, look at all the lessons it teaches you if you change your perspective. And a lot of people will be like, hey, that's not logical. or That's not reasonable. And I'll just, so, I tell you, man, I just stopped arguing with people. I'm like, sure, keep suffering. It's like, you want to keep suffering? Do it. Continue to give yourself terrible meanings. Continue to think that this is so horrible. And how could the world do this to you? Like, continue playing the victim. I don't care. You're suffering, not me. And so that that's the biggest piece of advice. The problem is a lot of people don't want to accept that. A lot of people don't want to take responsibility for making their life better. And that's why they struggle with pain. The way I overcame pain is I took responsibility for everything. I got bullied. So damn what? Who cares? They didn't bully me because I'm me. They bullied me because they suck. What am I going to do with that? Like, you know, it, it, if somebody is just a miserable person, they're going to put miser misery into the world. If your dad beat you, chances are he's not a very happy person. Like, I can tell you that for a fact. Your dad's not a very happy person. Your dad probably has more problems than you have, and you're lucky he only beat you. You're <laughs> Like, you're lucky you don't have the problems he had because to want to physically hurt other people, you have a lot of inner pain. Like, you really do. And so if you don't want to hurt other people, congrats. You don't have the same physical pain as him. You're already better off. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. You know, Vincent, uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I and all of my conversations with this very question, my friend. So I'll ask it to you as we end our time together today. Today, when you look at your life, both personally and professionally, my friend, how do you want your legacy to be defined? How do I want my life to, what was the last piece? I'm sorry. How do you want your legacy to be defined? Uh, my legacy to be defined. I hmm. I, I, I see my mission as impacting 1 billion lives through my journey in life. And for the legacy, I want people to just say, hey, you know, I, I listened to Vin's conversations or I listened to his speeches or I watched his content and it helped me change my life. I I want to be remembered as somebody who really like can I curse? Am I allowed to do that here? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I want people to to say like I I changed something because Vin really gave a fuck about bringing a different view to this world because Vin said something or did something that helped me in a you know overcome something. And I want to be a part of 
some of the greats that have really inspired people to live their fullest lives. Because I've been in that state of victimhood, man. It sucks. It's shit. It's shit for me. It's shit for you. It's shit for everyone. And I just want people to step out of that. I want people, and I hope that people don't see things that I, I say and do and take it out of context because it's all coming from a space of love. It's coming from a space of like, I've overcome it. You can too. I want to see you overcome it. I believe in you. I fucking love you. Please listen to some of the things I say because they are truth and you can overcome it too. And so I, I hope that that's the legacy I leave behind. And I already kind of left behind a legacy. I have an 11 month old daughter and uh, I'm going to work night and day to show her what it means to be a very powerful, empowering, loving, and inspiring person. And I hope that she follows that path as well. And uh, she is an extension of my legacy. So I'm excited to see what she does in this world. Yeah, absolutely. Since you brought it up, my friend, what's, what's the best part about being a new dad? I'm fascinated. <laughs> it's, I, I tell everybody this. You know, it's it's really interesting because you don't know you're missing out on anything because you're not. But once you have it, it's like a whole new world, right? So I'll just give you a quick, for example, like my daughter recently started saying dada. And Kevin, like, you have no idea what it feels like to have a little girl call you dada. So you're not missing anything, right? It doesn't mean you're missing out on life. It doesn't mean you you are lacking joy. It just means you haven't experienced it. So you don't know what it is, right? But once you experience it, you can't imagine life without it. And so if I wasn't experiencing it, I wouldn't know that I want it. But when she says dada, I'm like, oh my God, say it again, say it again, do it again. And I start becoming like this annoying dad <laughs> because it fills me with so much joy like, I, I, man, I swear, I could be in the other room and I'll just hear her be like, da, da. and I like stop everything. And I'm like, did you say dada? Say it again. Like, <laughs> and I'll like run over her. Uh, but it's it's not like it's not like people who don't have kids are missing out. Right. Because this feeling can only be inspired by actually having one. And so I always tell people, like, if you want to have a kid, if it resonates with you, if it's in alignment, do it. If you don't have a kid, you're also not missing out because you won't know that these things will impact you or affect you emotionally because they haven't you haven't experienced them. They haven't occurred yet. But once they occur, you can't imagine life without it. Like me and my girlfriend have talked before. She's like, if you could go back and, you know, and not have our daughter, would you do it? I was like, I don't know. I mean, now that I've experienced it, I don't want to go back. Right. But before I had the kid, I was like, I don't want kids. I don't want them. <laughs> So it's an interesting uh, transition that changes. But the best part of being a dad or a new dad is just like those little things you get to experience that you didn't know you wanted. I didn't know I wanted to see my daughter smile until I saw her doing it. I didn't know I wanted to be called dad dad until it happened. I didn't know I wanted to see her. She makes this ridiculous little scrunchy face that I freaking love, man. I was like, I didn't know I wanted that because I never experienced it. And so it's really uh, it's really wild. But uh, it's it's got its ups and downs. There's a lot of sleepless nights. It's exhausting, but it's really, uh, wow, man, it brings, it's bring, it's brought a lot of joy and excitement to my life. And it's also made me a better man because if you're a parent and you're listening to this, um, maybe what I say right now is going to light a fire under your ass, or maybe you're going to turn off the podcast because you're angry. But the reality is this, if you're a parent 
and you're not working to become your best self, you're doing your kid a disservice and you're selfish and you're lazy. And i truly believe that in my heart because once I had my daughter, I was like, wow, you, you better work really freaking hard to provide this, this soul, uh, a good life. Like that's your responsibility. Now as a parent, your responsibility is to make sure your kid is taken care of and that they, they know how to act and that they can look up to someone because children learn their behaviors from, from their parents. Like it's all proven. We form most of our views of life within the first five years, which is crazy. And so when she was born, I was like, I got to kick it into high gear. Some things that I'm doing that are wasting my time. I got to stop. Like I love video games, man, but I barely play anymore. I barely play. If I get two hours a week, I'm excited. But the reality is, is like, I can't justify sitting here and playing video games for three to four to five hours a day when I have a kid, not because of the fact that I need to be taking care of the kid. Like, and, and don't get me wrong, you do got to take care of the kid, but I can't justify it because that's not showing a good example for my daughter to become her best self. That's not showing her that I'm a man that should be admired. And so as soon as my kid was born, I was like, I got to do more and I especially have to be more. And if you're a parent and you don't feel that way, you better change your damn way of thinking because you you have a responsibility to that child and that child is soaking in everything you're doing. And if they're watching you lay around and watch TV and play video games for five, six hours, you're doing your kid a disservice because that's not a great way to be living life. Yeah, I mentioned that. I, I tell everybody that has kids, uh, and I'll tell you this, buddy. It's it's the most important job you'll ever have, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Vincent, I'm fascinated from talking to you to ask you, buddy, where do you get your abundance of energy from, my friend? Because you're like the energizer buddy. You just keep going with excitement and joy for life. So where does your energy come from, my friend? So I guess unlike most people, I just love the process of life. Every day could be, honestly, it could be anything. Like that excites me. I, I've come to learn a while ago that the point of a goal is not about the goal itself. The point of a goal is to create a place mark of who you want to evolve into and who you want to become. And so when I look at it like that, I am excited every day to see who I'm becoming. I'm excited every day to do something to make me better. I'm excited about what life has to bring. I'm excited about, you know, what's my daughter going to do? What am I going to do? What's my girlfriend going to do? What's life going to be like? You know, what experiences will I have? Who will I meet? All of these things in the process drive me. I I am extremely driven to become better. And I have this, I had a conversation uh, the other day where somebody was like, oh, you know, you are enough. And I was like, I was like, can I debate that? <laughs> I was like, because there's this message going around in society where we want to tell everyone you're enough. And I said, I was like, respectfully speaking, I am definitely fucking not enough. I was like, and that is not a bad thing. We need to stop thinking being not enough is, is a bad thing. That is a good thing. Because if I thought I was enough, I'd be a lazy sack of shit. Me being the this person that I am and understanding that I am not enough in the best way possible is important. It's why I'm an achiever. It's why I get shit done. I believe I could be better physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. There's no, there's no area in life that I am quote unquote enough. And that is a great thing because that's why I want to keep being better. And so one of the things that people have tried to turn into a, you know, a toxic saying is like saying you're not enough. But I believe that's a very positive saying. It's an acknowledgement that I am not at my highest potential. And you know what the funny secret is? Nobody ever will be because there's no such thing as perfect. 
Every day you could get to a higher and higher potential, even if it's like a fraction of a fraction of a percent. Like even if you went on a walk and you lasted three seconds longer than you did before the day before, that's a fraction of a fraction of percent, but you are still better than the day you, before. And so my energy comes from that. Like I'm just obsessed with being better and creating a better life for myself and everyone around me, my friends, my family, my daughter, my girlfriend, the people I don't even know, the people that I'm I'm blessed enough to impact through my social medias and, and coaching. Like I, I have to be so freaking much for this world. And that is the best possible way I could look at it. But that also gives me energy because I don't believe I have time to just sit here and be a lazy sack of shit. I just don't. And so that energizes me to get up and get moving. Yeah, absolutely. And Vincent, finally tell me if people want to get connected with you, my friend. What's the best way they can do that? Well, man, after a few of the rough views I shared on this podcast, I have a I have a serious doubt some people will want to get connected with me. But <laughs> if you're still here and you're still listening, please uh, check out my social medias. I'm always posting videos and reels and free content trying to help you become the best version of yourself. You can find me on TikTok or Instagram at vin.infanti. It's just first name and then last name. Uh, you can find my website is vincentinfante.life. It's my full name. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. And honestly, if you just Google me, you're going to find me. I'm pretty high on the ranking for SEO. So <laughs> you can find me anywhere. <laughs> well, I, I certainly appreciate the shameless plug, my friend. But in all seriousness, my friend, this was one of my uh, favorite uh, podcast interviews that I've conducted, my friend. And I've conducted now over 1,105 year, years. And I have to tell you, this is one of my uh, top 10. So I really appreciate your uh, willingness to uh, share a part of your life with me about your life experience in both personal, personal and professional life. And I want to commend you for all the good work that you do to impact people. And I want to thank you for being here this morning. It's most appreciated. Well, thanks so much, Kevin. That that really means a lot in my my heart feels it too. So I appreciate being in the top 10 podcast you've ever done, especially with such a great number count. And thank you so much for inviting me on and for having me here today. I had a lot of fun and I hope your listeners got a ton of value too.